you for listening to Roots and Wings, a podcast produced by the Tennessee Commission on Children and Youth. I'm Jonquil Newland, the director of Kids Central TN. Child abuse is a tough topic to think about, let alone discuss. In 2015, an estimated 1,670 children across the country died from abuse and neglect. Now, that's according to the National Children's Alliance, which also states that during the same year, nearly 700,000 children were victims of abuse and neglect. Now, if you're wondering why 2015, well, it's the most recent year that national data is available. Now, while those statistics may be very hard to hear, there are groups working extremely hard to help those children and families. You've already heard me mention the National Children's Alliance. Well, here in Davidson County, the Nashville Children's Alliance, formerly known as the Nashville Child Advocacy Center, is a nonprofit agency that provides free services to children in Davidson County who are victims of physical and sexual abuse. Since it was founded in 1992, the Nashville Children's Alliance has worked to reduce the trauma of child abuse victims and their families by conducting forensic interviews, working with the Department of Children's Services, the Metro Nashville Police Department, and the District Attorney General's Office to make sure no child falls through the cracks. Lori Myers is the clinical director at the Nashville Children's Alliance. Her work focuses on trauma-informed care, attachment disruptions, and a two-generational approach. Lori joins me now, of course, and thank you so much for being a guest on Roots and Wings, Lori. Thank you for having me. Well, so let's just get the conversation started. I'm very interested in learning a little bit more about this two-generation two-generational approach, if I can say it correctly. How does the Nashville Children's Alliance utilize the two-generational approach and why is it important? The two-generational approach is realizing that every individual that comes into our office is a product of their environment and all the familial factors. So if we look at the fact that we have children who come into our offices, they also have families. And in looking at the issues and the things that our children are dealing with, sometimes the things that the parents or the caregivers are dealing with can affect the children as well. And so if we look at a two-generational approach, we're looking at the generation that comes in as our identified client. And then we're looking at the generation that is raising that child, to be able to make sure that we're helping a whole family unit be able to leave our agency healthier and stronger. That's a very good point you bring out. And I want to also mention, or I want to bring up rather, uh, you hear a lot about personal stories, especially from children, about their trauma and or abuse. And so often we later learn, uh, kind of as you mentioned already, Lori, that their parents or caregivers have gone through their own trauma. How does a parent or caregiver's trauma impact their ability to parent a child who is already going through their own adverse childhood experiences or ACEs? It it helps or impedes the parent or caregiver from being able to be present in the moment, present in right here and now. So a lot of times what we see is a child will have some overwhelming, bizarre, or strange or tough behavior. And at that point, when we see that behavior as a caregiver, it begins to make us have certain feelings or thoughts within ourselves. If it triggers something that we have experienced in our past, and as a child, a teenager, or a young adult ourselves, and it is something we're unaware of, or that is some unresolved trauma ourselves, we tend to then as a caregiver or a parent respond out of our past 
or respond out of our fear for what will happen in the future instead of being able to parent right here in the present. And so then what we see is we see children who are dealing with the effects of trauma, attachment disruptions, abuse, whatever that is. And then we see a caregiver or a parent who is dealing with those same things. And then there is nobody that can help calm the situation, that can help be that person to bring the child back into balance because neither individual in the relationship is in balance. How can you begin treating uh, both the, the child and the parents in this regards? Is, is it family counseling? Is it individual counseling? Is it a combination of both? What would you say, Lori? It's a combination of both. So at the Nashville Children's Alliance, we have had the wonderful opportunity of a collaborative grant with the Sexual Assault Center. And so we have an a therapist from the Sexual Assault Center who's at our office five days a week who can also see the parents and caregivers of the children we serve in an individual capacity. Then the therapists that work for the Nashville Children's Alliance can also see the children that come in or the siblings uh, in an individual capacity. So we need to have that piece of them being able to work on some of their individual issues and things that are coming in. Also, we make sure that we have some work and some strategies where we work with the parent or the caregiver and the child together. And what that does is it helps strengthen that attachment relationship. So it helps strengthen the relationship between the caregiver and the child to create a more safe, stable, nurturing relationship and environment. And then also to aid the caregiver and the child in being able to recognize what's going on in their bodies, what their emotional cues are, so that they can begin to, as Dan Siegel says, name it to tame it and realize when they are getting triggered or when they are not interacting in the present and it's more with echoes from their childhood or issues of fear of the future. When you think a lot about um, treating these families and these children, I think sometimes specifically my brain goes to uh, the opioid crisis and the epidemic, rather. I know health experts are very keen on wanting to use the word epidemic. At the Nashville Children's Alliance, has that, the opioid epidemic in itself, has that impacted the work you guys do? And are you seeing any impact on that uh, at the Nashville Children's Alliance? We see at the Nashville Children's Alliance, some of the children that are affected by that epidemic, Um, whether it's children that have had abuse, neglect, um, or attachment disruptions and trauma because their parent or caregiver is an individual that is suffering from that. Uh, We see children that come in because um, a loved one has been suffering with that, and then that is something that compounds what they've already come in with to see us. One of the things is with our two generational approaches, we have to make sure that the caregiver or the parent is somebody who is in a place where they can begin to work on that safe, stable, nurturing relationship and environment. So we do have some caregivers and parents who have some of their own individual work and some of their own individual history of hurt and deep wounding that they need to work on before we can bring them into a family session as well. And so when we see families who have been uh, affected by this epidemic or by the different things in their environment, we want to first assess where is the best place to help, make sure that both individuals are at a place where they can hold space for each other. Now, when I say that, we don't actually want a child caregiving the caregiver, but being able to say, you know what, 
mommy, daddy, grandma, foster mommy, adoptive mommy, adoptive daddy, um, whoever it is, is having a hard time right now and that's not about me. And so being able to make sure they're in a place where they can reconnect. One of your focuses, Lori, is in trauma-informed care. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how does that differentiate between ACEs or adverse childhood experiences? You know, they go hand in hand, um, but they are separate. So adverse childhood experiences are the experiences and the things that we as individuals have felt in our lives prior to 18. They are the things that we have experienced that can possibly change the way our brain develops and can possibly change the foundation of our brain and then therefore the architecture of our brain. Trauma-informed care is the way of being and believing in the fact that everyone has a story. Everyone has something that they have come from. I think one of the really important pieces to talk about with trauma-informed care, and some people are starting to call it a trauma-informed culture, is that if ourselves as agencies, individuals, or people who work with other individuals in our community are not beginning to have that culture of trauma-informed care within our agency, then being able to give that or be able to provide that for the individuals that come in the front door of our agencies is not really possible. So part of my belief in trauma-informed care is realizing that everyone you meet comes to you with a story. Everyone you meet comes to you with their own personal history and their own way of organizing that personal history. And so realizing that underneath and underlying every behavior, action, things people say, that there is something underneath that to begin to be curious about. So if as an agency, um, an organization, even a a for-profit business, if we begin to realize that everybody is doing the best they can, and then from there, we need to walk alongside them to help them grow, then the services we provide our community are going to be stronger, are going to be better, and are going to be more compassionate. When you were speaking about that, Lori, it kind of reminded me of, I I recently had a discussion about social emotional learning in the schools and specifically how adults or caregivers or parents are trying to model the best behavior for students. And you're kind of nodding in agreement with me. Does that... SEL and the social emotional learning, does that tie in as well with just what you were explaining? It all goes hand in hand. You know, there's a part where we can, the part of our brain that helps us balance ourselves, calm ourselves, in the therapy world, we call it regulate ourselves, um, is the part of our brain that also we can't necessarily talk to. And so what is so important is being able to have that nonverbal piece or that action-oriented piece. So if we can begin to help environments, interactions between human beings change and become more gentle and more compassionate, we actually do help change the architecture of the brain and begin to rework that foundation that might have some cracks or might have some areas where it didn't get as much in one area as maybe another. 
You also used the term uh, trauma-informed culture a little bit earlier, kind of playing to the fact of if we all worked on this and as a culture became more aware a few decades down the line, imagine where we could be, you know? In a perfect world, how would you see the work that the National Children's Alliance is doing down the road? In a perfect world, we wouldn't be needed. In a perfect world... I would be, I would work myself out of a job. There would be no more abuse and neglect. That would be wonderful. I know that that's a little bit of a Pollyanna view. Um, Or for those of us who are a little younger, Pollyanna was a Disney movie where she thought optimistically all the time. Um, But more realistically, but still, you know, optimistically, is that we begin to see stronger and stronger families. Um, I worked with uh, an organization or collective impact called ACE Nashville, All Children Excel, uh, for about four years. I'm still a part of the Trauma-Informed Care Work Group, but no longer co-leader or are on the leadership committee. Um, But one of the things that... Ace Nashville has talked about is if we begin to use this two-generational approach, hopefully in about three to four years, we have begun to change the way individuals grow up, learn, and experience the world. And in doing that, then we begin to create healthier foundations of brains, healthier brain architecture, and therefore it will reduce the amount of adverse childhood experiences we are beginning to see people engage in or have to deal with. And then also we will reduce that intergenerational transmission of trauma. When it's spoken out loud, it it seems simply understandable, like, well, duh. However, it's so layered and embedded. And as you mentioned, we've had so many just tiny little topics just now saying, well, they all kind of go hand in hand. You mentioned at the Nashville Children's Alliance that treatment for families and children can be done separate and or together. Is that the only thing that National Children's Alliance is doing to try and treat families, or are there other avenues that you guys are taking as well? We are part of the Child Protective Investigative Team in Davidson County. Uh, That is made up of the District Attorney's Office, uh, the Metro Nashville Police Department, the Department of Children's Services, and any health professional that is working in the area of sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, or juvenile offenders at that point. And so we, because it is legislated and mandated by law in the state of Tennessee, those forensic interviews and what those are, are those are child-focused interviews for the individuals that are making allegations of abuse or um, neglect to be able to talk about the things that have happened to them, have it be able to be recorded so that our hope is they it minimizes the amount of times a child has to tell their story. So at the Children's Alliance, we provide the forensic interviews for children who have made allegations. We also have a coordinator who coordinates our Child Protective Investigative Team. So we sit as a part of that team. We have um, family advocates or family support specialists who will help the families of the the children who come in for forensic interviews to link with resources and to navigate the system. And then also we provide therapy to the children and the families who come into our center. There are also individuals who will refer children for therapy from outside sources as well. But our hope is to be able to be consistent throughout the process 
of the investigation and hopefully the prosecution of individuals who have hurt children and families, and then also be able to follow with the healing as well. When you mentioned uh, the fact or just the the part of the process where a child has to tell their story more than once, and that can be a very traumatic experience in itself. Does the NCA, or excuse me, does the Nashville Nashville Children's Alliance rely on, say for instance, court-appointed special advocates or or volunteers of that nature who are really there just to support the child? Mm -hmm. We actually work very closely with CASA or the court-appointed special advocates. We work closely with the Department of Children's Services and guardian ad litems that are also um, assigned to cases. And so they do not work for us but we all work collaboratively together to make sure that the process is as least traumatizing to children as possible. I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this episode, Lori, I just had a few statistics in regards to national statistics uh, with how many children have been either um, a victim of abuse or neglect or have unfortunately passed from it. Do you know a little bit better of locally, maybe state statistic wise, um, of what those could be here, those numbers could be here? They're very similar. I know that our child protective investigative team hears about 1,500 or 1,500 to about 1,400 cases a year. That does not mean that all of those cases are found to be substantiated or actual findings of abuse, um, but they do hear about that many. Um, the Nashville Children's Alliance in Davidson County does approximately 750 forensic interviews a year and then is able to see about 215 children for therapy a year just in Davidson County alone. That just gives you a little idea of just how big of an impact the Nashville Children's Alliance has and how many children and families need help like this. Um, Moving forward, if a listener happened to be listening to this podcast and this may be hitting a little close to home for them, maybe they want to reach out or they know of a family member or loved one that would benefit, what's the best way to do that? I know even beginning this discussion can be very difficult in itself. You know, it's a hard thing to navigate for families. Uh, A lot of times what we hear is, well, I'm not the identified person or the identified victim. Maybe not, but it does affect you and the way that you operate within the world. And so people can always go to the NashvilleChildrensAlliance.org, which is our website. They can always call our agency, which is 615-327-9958. And there are lots of different people that they could speak with at that point. Um, They can always go. There is a a website that has been put together by our kids, which is um, an agency here in Nashville called One in Four. And it talks about some of the different resources that there are for individuals, children and adults who are struggling with either never disclosed child sexual abuse or it has been disclosed, but they still have effects and are struggling from that. Um, But there are lots of different resources, but those are some of them that are here. Also, the Sexual Assault Center in Nashville has a crisis line um, for individuals or survivors of sexual assault from children all the way up to adults. um, And that is on their website at essaycenter.org. And you mentioned uh, the one in four, and I would just like our, our listeners to just know that that's a statistic, actually. 
and I don't want to say incorrectly. So do you know what that is, Lori? I do. Okay. Yeah. I do. The statistic is, is that one in four children's uh, lives will be touched by sexual abuse before the age of 18. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's for females or males. It's children in general, correct? It's children in general. Yeah. Is there any specific legislation or policies that the Nashville Children's Alliance is kind of keeping their eye on right now? You know, there's a part where there are lots of really great organizations out there that do some of that legislative work. And so at this point, you know, we try to help with prevention. We're, we're part of um, prevention collaborations throughout Nashville. Uh, we look at a lot of how things are affecting our child protective investigative team. And to be honest, I think that's where we focus a lot of our energy at this point is really making sure that that legislation is helping children not have to tell their story so many multiple times. Um, but to be able to say there's one specific place that we look at with legislation is we are looking more at how do we help with what is already here. And then there are some individuals who have really great strategies and training to be able to do more of that legislative work. Training is important. Um, Is the Nashville Children's Alliance in any way trying to help train these professionals or adults that are working with children? Or is that done by another organization I'm sure you guys partner with? Um, We actually provide at the Nashville Children's Alliance the Stewards of Children training, which is the Darkness to Light training that talks about how to recognize, reduce, and react to disclosures of child sexual abuse. Um, Our therapists go out and do trainings all the time for other clinicians in the community around how to work with attachment and trauma issues, how to be able to meet children where they're at and utilize play as their language and their words as opposed to talking at them as we would with adults. Um, Also, we do take um, interns, and so those are master's level interns from organizations or universities in the Nashville area to help train them on how to do the work. And then our family advocates and our forensic interviewers also take bachelor's level interns to help them learn how to do this work as well. How long have you been in this profession, Lori? I'm just personally curious myself. I um, graduated with my master's in social work in 2002 um, and worked for Centerstone for four or five years and then started working at the Sexual Assault Center in 2006 and stayed there for about seven years and then have been at the Nashville Children's Alliance since 2013. I can only imagine that some of the work that you do is obviously so needed, but it it can be hard, I'm sure. And the stories that these children are going through and just their own personal stories. Um, What what gives you wanting to come back and making sure you want to keep doing work like this because it is so needed in every county of Tennessee? You know, I think we're all made for specific jobs. Uh, When I graduated from graduate school, a lot of my friends went into working into hospice work and to individuals who were actively dying. And they would say to me, I can't do what you do. And I'm like, but I can't do what you do. And I think we're all made for different things and um, for different positions in our lives. One of the things that keeps me coming back is being able to watch a family walk out of my office and they don't need me anymore. 
they have been able to create the safe, stable, nurturing relationship and environment for all individuals within the family. And they've begun to be able to grasp on to some joy in a way that they weren't able to the first time that they walked into our office. That has to be an amazing feeling. It is. Very fulfilling. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Lori, I just want to thank you so much for, for having this discussion with me on Roots and Wings. Is there anything I did not ask that you want to talk about or make sure our listeners know about? Um, just that there's hope out there. That adverse childhood experiences, it's fact, not fate. And that we always, all of us, can begin to change our future and begin to change the way that we interact on the world and with each other. If you could give one little tip for a parent maybe listening in a car or, or anybody who's listening to this about just maybe one little tip a day could help lead us in that direction, what would that advice be? I think one tip is to just take a moment to pause before you respond. It is sounds so simple, but it is so hard. And so there's a piece of just reminding us to take a deep breath before we actually speak. And then also to be able to interact with children as human beings, not as lesser than. So sometimes just being able to get on their eye level and be able to either sit in a chair or crouch down. My knees are old, they don't crouch down as great anymore, but being able to see them at eye level um, and be able to talk and interact with them as human beings. Well said. Thank you so much, Lori. And thank you to our listeners. You have been listening to Roots and Wings on Jonquil Newland. Mm-hmm.